Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So that's Psalm 105 and it's on page 607 of the Church Bibles. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of peoples set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his miraculous signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. For had they not rebelled against his words, he turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of their rulers. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout the country. He turned their rain into hail. With lightning throughout their land, he struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil. Then he struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their manhood. He brought out Israel, laden with silver and gold, and from among their tribes no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left, because dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked, and he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. 
Like a river, it flowed in the desert. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stand. Loving Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Thank you for your word, and thank you that we have time now to uh, look at it together. And we pray you'd help us understand it better and respond to your right in our lives and in our praises. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do be seated, everyone. And you might like to turn back to Psalm 105, which is on page 607 of your church Bibles here. And as we settle ourselves and get ourselves organised, I must just say uh, thank you very much for your kind invitation for having uh, me and the Kilness gang over here this evening. It's great to be here and uh, it's great that we can share this uh, partnership together between us uh, over at Kilnest and uh, you here at uh, Christchurch Forward. The Lord remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. That's verse 8 of Psalm 105. We're thinking uh, this evening about God as the keeper of promises. The question is, why does it matter that God keeps those covenant promises, actually going through with the things that he said he's going to? After all, he's, he's God, isn't he? He's not bound by rules or social conventions, not under the authority of anyone else. He's the boss of everything. He can pretty much do as he likes. So hasn't he got the right to change his mind or do something different? What would happen if God got fed up with that covenant, uh, that particular agreement, and just decided to tear it up and start all over again? Well, tonight we're going to be thinking about some of those things uh, and we'll see actually it's vital for us that God is a promise keeper that he is consistent in remembering his covenants uh, and we'll see what our response to that should be now can I ask you as we uh, begin this evening uh, would you say you're an optimist or are you a bit of a, a pessimist generally speaking is your glass half empty or is it sort of half full uh, take your work or your professional life. Uh, are your tasks and projects, are, are they under control? Have you got them all in hand or do you worry uh, that you're going to miss that deadline by a country mile and the boss is going to get angry? And what about your family life? Do you expect, well, your kids will turn out all right in the end? Or do you worry that uh, uh, they'll never make it through those awful teenage years? And then what about your Christian life? And what about following Jesus? Are you going strong or are you just sort of hanging on in there by your fingertips? How do you feel about your struggle with sin? These things are important as we begin. King David, he knew what it was to struggle with sin. And as we're thinking of these Psalms, remember Psalm 51? David wrote this, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, 
blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. It wasn't just King David, the Apostle Paul, he struggled with sin as well, speaking as a Christian. Uh, the book of Romans that you've been looking at, uh, for, he said this, he said in chapter seven, for what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. He concludes uh, chapter seven, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Now, I don't know if you uh, remember um, uh, this book. It's called The Book of Common Prayer. Some of you might remember it. It's uh, been around a while. Uh, 350 years, in fact, uh, has this book been around. Um, uh, But this book also has that sort of view of sin. Uh, The morning prayer service in here invites us as a congregation to acknowledge and confess our manifold sins and wickedness. Manifold means many, if you're uh, young Uh, here tonight another prayer in this book asks God to have mercy on us miserable sinners hardly seems like a a cause for optimism does it so what's changed in those 350 years sin it seems seems to have lost a bit of its edge even as Christians I don't think we're so bothered about it as we should be and as we certainly used to be For most of us, I guess, we think we're probably not as sinful as we really are. In uh, Olympic terms, maybe we uh, think we're chasing the bronze medal in following Jesus rather than sort of crashing out and qualifying. In football terms, we uh, think we're sort of, uh, well, we're in the the top flight of the premiership uh, rather than the bottom end of the conference when it comes to following Jesus. If you want to think in Ofsted terms, If you're into that kind of thing, we'd rather think our discipleship was uh, judged good with outstanding features rather than having the honesty to say requires improvement or even put it into special measures. You see, if you're like me, we really do think of ourselves as doing okay, probably better than we really are. And we think we're pretty consistent, pretty reliable, pretty faithful, for the most part, uh, pretty loyal. Well, I came across an article in, uh, in The Guardian written a few years back by a chap called Adam Nicholson. Uh, he was reflecting on the pious life of uh, another chap from the 17th century, uh, Bishop Lancelot Andrews. He was bishop in uh, Chichester and Ely and Winchester, and he was a bit of a theological heavyweight uh, in his day. And he, uh, this article, it says this. The ancient assumption is the pessimistic one that the human condition is essentially disastrous. We are weak. We are incompetent and fallible. We are miserable sinners. Compared with the modern liberal assumption, that's the very opposite of that. Essentially, the idea that if only we sort a few things out properly, we'll all be just fine. So what about you? How are you really doing when it comes to pleasing God and following Jesus? Are you with Bishop Andrews, uh, incompetent and fallible? Or with the liberals of today doing fine? Thanks very much. Certainly gives us something to think about. But you see, the trouble is when we see our sin like that, uh, it might tend us towards despair or hopelessness, uh, causing us to ask, 
well, how can God possibly accept someone like me, full of sin all the time? Well, rather than turning to despair, let's turn to Psalm 105, and that will in turn uh, turn us to praise. Rather than dwelling on what we're like, uh, we need to remember what God is like. The question is, how shall we remember? Well, the psalm does it like this, uh, by bringing to mind the things God has done and the things he said in the past by looking at God's words and actions. We'll see what God is like. We'll see him as he really is and uh, what his plans and purposes are for us. Uh, and we'll also see there what he's done about our sin. Uh, and we'll again be challenged to believe him and trust him and take him at his word and to put our faith in him as the keeper of promises. We're back to Psalm 105 then, uh, page 607. You've been looking at these as part of a series, I understand. Started at uh, Psalm 103. We uh, did four last week, five this week, and 106 next week. These are liturgical songs or, or poems, often set to music, uh, to be sung together by a congregation, much as we've been singing tonight. Uh, and indeed, through these psalms, we are actually singing the scriptures. Uh, did you notice that? Uh, last week in Psalm 104, you were singing uh, Genesis, uh, the creation story from the first few chapters. This week, we're singing about Abraham and Joseph and Moses. Uh, we're sort of working a bit faster through those early books of the Bible. And in looking at these psalms, we're, we will indeed bring to mind what God has done in the past and see why that matters to us in the present now, at this point in time, when these psalms were first written, uh, King David is in charge. He's, uh, he's the boss in Jerusalem there. And uh, uh, with him, uh, the people have come to see uh, some of the things that we've already been thinking about. They've come to realize the depths of their own sin. They've come to acknowledge their unworthiness before God and their need of his ongoing mercy and forgiveness. And as a result of all that, they're struggling to see how God could possibly accept them. And so what does David do as he writes the psalm? Well, he turns us to praise. And first heading, in your praise, let God's greatness fill your horizons. You see, the trouble with sin, it does come between us and God, doesn't it? It ruins our relationship with him. It gets in the way of our enjoying him as we should. As my sin gets ever bigger... Uh, so my God gets ever smaller. Well, these opening verses are having none of that. Even for sinful people, the writer wants God to become bigger, greater in our estimations. He wants God to become our everything, filling our lives, filling our horizons. Let me read uh, some of those first verses again. Verse one, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. So this is someone who, despite their sin, is pretty enthusiastic about God the Lord. And this is someone whose God is very great. They want to sing about it. They want to shout it from the rooftops. They want to glory in him. They want to find their greatest pleasure in enjoying this God. 
That brings me to ask us, how big is your God? Because sometimes I don't think I'm as enthusiastic about God as I might be, especially when that begins to you know, encroach in my diary or into my uh, wallet. I'm really not one for shouting uh, anything from the rooftops, uh, let alone God's greatness. Uh, even though that I know in my heart I will find my greatest pleasure in God. You'd sometimes, I think, be hard to see. I, I guess like you, I'm easily distracted. You know, we, uh, we flick through these sort of magazines that drop out the Sunday papers, don't we? And uh, as I flick through, everything's so uh, impressive and attractive, isn't it? The careers of the good and the great, beautiful homes, amazing holidays, designer clothes, high-performance cars, it's all here. It's all laid out before us. And rather than in, uh, glorifying in God and spending time with him, we're so easily persuaded to go looking for pleasure in other things. And my work and my family, the stuff I own and the people I spend time with. But the psalm offers us an alternative. Fill your horizons with God. Uh, at Kilnurst, we sometimes sing about this. On uh, Sunday afternoons, we have a, a tea time service called Fresh. And, we, and there we sing, our God is a great big God. Maybe you know that one uh, yourself. You know, higher than a skyscraper and uh, deeper than a submarine and all that. Uh, it's great, isn't it? You know it too, obviously. Uh, the song works so well with young families. Uh, but actually, it speaks a lot of sense to grown-ups. That's the great thing about kids' songs, isn't it? God is big. He is great. It is wonderful to be a part of his amazing plan. And that's exactly what the psalm is saying. God is very great, so let his greatness fill your horizons. A couple of years back, we were on holiday down on the west coast of France. Uh, well, on one particular evening, we were out for a drive to nowhere in particular, and we came across a hot air balloon festival. There must have been 20 or 30 uh, balloons there lined up across this massive great field, uh, all fired up and ready for takeoff. And so we parked off uh, at a safe distance uh, and waited uh, and watched uh, for a, a few minutes as, uh, as they set off one by one up into the evening sky, little tiny coloured dots sort of disappearing into the distance. I think I said something uh, pretty edifying at that point. Something like, well, you wouldn't catch me going up in one of those things. You see, I'm really not very keen on the idea. I was much happier simply to observe from a great distance. But do you see what the psalm is saying to us? Uh, we're not to uh, do what I did with that hot air balloon and keep it at arm's length. And don't keep it as a tiny dot in the distance uh, that I hardly know anything about. If I can put it like this, uh, we, we don't want God to be uh, a tiny dot amongst all the other stuff in our daily life. He wants us up close. He wants it to be personal. He wants us right there with him in the middle of things. He wants us out of the car and into the basket. And where as we look up from the basket under the balloon, all we can see is balloon. He fills our horizons experiencing the excitement and the drama of being so close to him, getting my every pleasure from being united with him in that way, letting my heart sing as it rejoices in him. In your praise, let 
God's greatness fill your horizons. Secondly, let his saving work become your focus. Uh, We move now to the middle section of the psalm, which is uh, very much a retelling of some edited edited highlights of uh, these early books of the Bible, Genesis through to Exodus. And the thing to note here is that, uh, well, the editor has been careful in the events he's selected. They're not sort of random stories, sort of pick one from here and one from there. These are, in Bible terms, what we'd call salvation history type events. In different ways that God has saved and rescued his people in the past. And it all begins with a promise. Look at verse 8 again. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. See, very often uh, in, uh, in history, as God acts or before he acts, uh, he tells someone or some people what he's about to do. He makes promises and commitments so that when the things actually happen, uh, we can know that God is at work. Well, these verses are a summary of the promises that God made uh, to three generations of his chosen leaders, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, I guess you'll remember from uh, Sunday school days that Abraham was a childless old age pensioner when God made him a pretty startling promise uh, that he would become the father of a great nation, uh, but he would be a blessing to many. Uh, Then uh, uh, that was uh, Genesis 12. By Genesis 15, we learn that old Abraham's children will be as many as the stars in the sky and that God's chosen place for them will eventually be Uh, The land of Canaan. I guess for uh, poor old Abraham, that took pretty uh, a lot of believing. Uh, He was very old, uh, but God kept that promise. Baby Isaac came along, Uh, and then we go a bit further on into uh, Genesis twenty-six. Isaac is given a promise from God, a repeat of the promise that God gave to his father Abraham. Uh, He too now would become the leader of God's chosen people. Uh, They'll be granted uh, Canaan, a place to live in, a special place to live under God's rule. And then we have Jacob, who again is promised these same things. Genesis 28, the promise of a people, uh, the promise of a place to live in under God's generous rule. And actually, you'll see as as these promises sort of uh, uh, go on, they become central to the rest of the Bible's history. And the promise of God's people Belonging in God's place and enjoying God's rule. It's a promise, of course, that finds its ultimate fulfillment in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, making disciples of all nations and bringing them into God's kingdom under the rule of King Jesus. Well, as we then move through the verses, uh, let's uh, have a look first at Jacob uh, and his story, and, uh, and then we've got Joseph and his story, and then we've got Moses and his story, ending up with uh, the gang arriving at Canaan, the promised land. Well, first we see God's faithful protection uh, through the wanderings with Jacob. Look at verse 12. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them, For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. 
do my prophets no harm. Now, in what could have been pretty difficult circumstances, uh, hostile territories that uh, God's people found themselves wandering about in, uh, God was there to protect them. Uh, He uh, protected them while they were there and led them, brought them out to safety. Uh, These people weren't perfect. Far from it, they were sinful people, just like you and me. But God kept his promise. He kept his promise to them and demonstrated his saving goodness. Well, next we remember what happened to Joseph, uh, verse 16. The Lord called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. And then verse 20, the king sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him the master of his household, ruler over all he possessed. Again, we haven't got time to go into all the details, but remember how the famine threatened to wipe out God's people? But then God sent Joseph, sold into Egypt as a slave through the evilness of his brothers, later to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. And God's people then were invited there as Joseph's guests, fed on the harvest that Joseph had ordered to be stored up. Again, these weren't perfect people. They were sinners, just like you and me. But God was here keeping his promise and demonstrating his saving goodness. Then we get to the Moses story. God's people are all now in slavery in Egypt. And the psalm reminds uh, us of God's rescue uh, through those ten great plagues. They're not all recorded here, but look uh, quickly down with me. Uh, Verse 29, uh, God turned the river to blood. Verse 30, God sent a plague of frogs. Verse 31, we get plagues of flies and gnats. And verse 34, God sent a plague of locusts. And then before uh, comes the very last and worst plague of all, verse 36, the plague of the firstborn. But even then, notice, God is there saving his people. Verse 37, the Lord brought out Egypt, uh, brought out Israel laden with silver and gold. And from among their tribes, no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because dread of Israel had fallen on them. Again, remember, these people struggled with sin. Yet time after time, God keeps his word and demonstrates his saving goodness. The focus of the psalm follows the focus of Bible history, homing in on God's saving work and again we find that uh, ultimately uh, coming together in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus uh, the most important event in history uh, the culmination the pinnacle of God's saving work through saving us in Jesus actually that's what happens uh, through uh, the rest of uh, the New Testament isn't it God keeping his promises and calling us to praise. Remember some of those great invitations to praise in the letters in the New Testament, like Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Paul writes there, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's great, isn't it, to know those spiritual blessings are ours And so we turn 
and praise God for it. Or again, take 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The gospel laid out for us, which we turn and praise God with. Again, in the book of Revelation, it's Father and Son, King Jesus, together who become subject of praise. Revelation 5, verse 13, uh, says this, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And you see, time after time, it's the same focus. When we praise God, we praise him for his saving work, and specifically his saving work of Jesus on the cross. And so in order for us to praise God aright, we need to keep that same focus. Uh, We need to keep our focus on his saving work. We need to remember the cross in the same way that the psalm remembers the exodus as a wonderful example of God's promise-keeping and showing himself able and willing to rescue and save Now, if you've ever waited in for a parcel to arrive, only to be let down at the end of the day, you'll know how very frustrating that can be. Uh, Living out in the sticks as we do in Kilnest, uh, we're sort of the end of the line when it comes to parcel delivery. And uh, you wait all day and nothing turns up. You phone the uh, bureau to find out what has happened. And they tell you, well, well, sorry, we've, uh, we've run out of driver time and we might try again tomorrow. Or then again, we might not. Anyway... I wonder if you've heard of a company called DPD. They run a a courier delivery service uh, and uh, uh, they they deliver parcels. That's their business. But actually they do it differently from everyone else uh, because actually they seem to care about what they're doing. It's amazing. Uh, uh, And so far, I've never been let down. I saw the other day that DPD had won a business award simply for delivering parcels to the right place at the right time. As a company, they've sort of embraced new technology. They give you a guaranteed one-hour delivery slot. I sound like a salesman, don't I? Uh, They send you a text message to let you know your parcel is on the way. Uh, They've even got a website there where you can track the little van uh, driving around your neighbourhood so you know he's only just around the corner and will be here any moment. And so whilst other courier companies are sort of kicking your parcel around the warehouse, uh, DPD are right there uh, delivering an award-winning service. Have they done all that? Well, their UK boss, he's a chap called Dwayne McDonald. Yes, that really is his name. And he put it down to keeping the main thing the main thing. And by doing parcel delivery uh, in a more focused way than everyone else in the marketplace. It's an almost relentless focus, he says, uh, on the few things that really matter and getting your parcel to the right place at the right time. Well, God isn't delivering parcels, but right through history, he's been delivering his wayward people from foreign kings, from famines, from Pharaoh in Egypt, and now at the cross, delivering us from sin and death. And so that's to become our relentless focus, an ongoing focus on God's saving work. Of course, that will impact all over the place in the way Uh, We do church in the way we live our lives. It'll impact things like, uh, as we were saying, the choice of our hymns and songs. 
It will impact on the things we read and study and talk about in our home groups. It will impact on the kind of prayers that we pray. And whether we're praising God by uh, singing or, or speaking or praying, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, that relentless focus on the God who keeps his promises by saving people through the death of his son. Our last heading this evening, in your praise, let God's faithfulness lead you to witness and celebrate. Well, we end up in our psalm with another reminder of God's faithfulness. It's a recap of God's promise to Abraham, how in Canaan, uh, he's brought uh, God's people into God's place, and they're there now under God's rule. Look at verse 42 at the end there. For the Lord remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So can you see that, how the promise of verse 42 was that they would become, verse 43, God's chosen people. God's people who are given, verse 44, God's place, Canaan, in which to live. Verse 45, under God's rule, his precepts and his laws. So even for sinful people, time after time, God displays his faithfulness. He keeps his promise. He remembers his covenant forever, verse 8. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. And all that faithfulness, says the psalm, should lead us to praise the promise-keeping God. Because as God saves his people in the past, so we can be sure that he saves us, his sinful people, in the present through trusting in Jesus. See, that's what God does. That's what God has always done. That's just what he's like. That's his track record. It goes before him. And you see, that track record of God's becomes the source, the basis of our hope and assurance. As God saved people from sin and death in the past, so he's shown himself to be trustworthy. And he will keep his promise to save his people, even us, in the present and in the future too. I guess the question here would be, well, will we trust God like that? Despite our falling short and sinfulness, despite our inconsistencies and lack of focus, will we trust God for our eternal future? Not based on what we've done, but based on his track record. Will we trust him today with our lives, even our deaths, as the God who keeps his promises? Oh, I very much hope we can do that. I hope it turns us to want to praise him even more for doing that for us. How should we go on praising God? Well, it takes us back to the beginning of the psalm, back to that whole bunch of instructions and commands. These are a bunch of imperatives, if you're into English, uh, designed to witness and celebrate to God's promise-keeping goodness. So first here, there's a definite call to witness to God's greatness look with me uh, verse one make known among the nations what he has done verse two tell of his wonderful acts verse five remember 
the wonders he has done. See, it's all about how we tell others about Jesus, not in the abstract, but in a concrete reality. Uh, Saying things like, well, he's rescued me from my sin, and he can rescue you too. Testifying to Jesus is a very definite act of praise. It's not all about singing songs. Uh, Here it's about witness, going out with the gospel. Uh, Go and tell people, verse 7, he is the Lord our God. I wonder when and where in your week you need to be praising God like that. Maybe in the office or in the common room. Maybe at your sports club or at school. You can praise God like that through your passion for life events. I was reading all about it on the, the sheet. Here's loads of different things on, something there for, for everyone. Uh, and through bringing your colleagues and your friends uh, to these different things and through carefully uh, talking to them before and afterwards. So you can steer those conversations, can't you, away from trivialities and towards God and the gospel. Yeah, at Kilnus, we're doing just the same. We've got Passion for Life uh, a little bit after Easter, but we've been doing the training off the DVD, uh, the Passion for Witness, as I know uh, some of you have as well. And it's been great encouragement to us uh, to have confidence in the gospel, to go and tell people about Jesus and to uh, remember to pray for our unbelieving friends. See, Passion for Life is going to be a great opportunity for us to praise God through our witness. So that's one response. Uh, Second, there's a definite call to celebrate here. Look again with me, verse one. We're to give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. We're to sing to him, sing praise to him. We're to glory in his holy name and rejoice in him. Words which speak of a great celebration of praise. As Charles Spurgeon wrote in his commentary on the psalm, It's a celebration of God's extraordinary goodness. So that's talking about what we do when we do meet together. Whether that's in here or at Kilnest or anywhere else, for that matter, we lift our heads, we lift our voices, and we praise the promise-keeping God. Sometimes, as we've done tonight, we'll do that together. Sometimes we'll do it apart Sometimes we do it through songs, other times in words or thoughts or through prayer. But hour by hour and day by day, we're called to praise the promise-keeping God. I wonder how you'd say you were doing in that regard. Let me ask it you this way, if I may. I wonder what your praise looks like from God's perspective. If you put yourself in his shoes and sort of uh, look down on how you're doing in praise, uh, your sort of praise profile through the week, uh, what would you as God uh, be feeling? Uh, Would you feel the love and devotion of your people? I guess one way or another we could all fit in uh, a bit more praise into our week. We could uh, do some practical things, couldn't we? You could get into the habit of uh, getting some good biblical Christian music on your MP3 or smartphone uh, or a CD for the car. Uh, You could have uh, good music, uh, praise music, uh, uh, around you more than just here on a Sunday. You could listen to uh, those songs about Jesus and you could be giving thanks through the day, through the week, uh, more often for his sacrificial death and saving love. Maybe you need to uh, fit in a bit more of that witness-type praise. 
The remembering and telling and making known uh, of Jesus. Maybe for you, you just need to be enjoying God more in that sort of celebration praise of taking time out to glory in him and rejoice in him and uh, letting him above all things become the source of your greatest joy and satisfaction. Again, you've got a great event at Easter time, I understand, where you could do just that. The Easter celebration, that's going to be a wonderful night of praise, a chance for all of us to lift our hearts and voices uh, to praise God on the day of resurrection, remembering the death of Jesus and his glorious resurrection. A brilliant opportunity, uh, not only for us as God's people, uh, but us witnessing uh, to our friends and unbelieve, uh, unbelieving family uh, of uh, the promise-keeping God. So we all struggle with sin. We've said that at the beginning, and we mustn't give up that struggle uh, to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, we talk about that in our CE groups uh, over at Kilness, that uh, we're more sinful than we ever realized. And that might lead us to ask, how can God possibly accept me? But then I need to remember God's promises and how through the cross, God has kept his promise for me. He shows that despite my sin, I'm more loved than I ever dreamed. I hope that Psalm 105 will encourage you to come closer to God and to praise him more and more. In your praise, let his greatness fill your horizons. Let his saving work become your focus. Let his faithfulness lead you to witness and to praise. Let's go from here and praise our promise-keeping God. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we thank you very much that you are a promise-keeping God, that you didn't tear up your promises to us, but you kept them in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, in our sinfulness and struggles with life to know that you've kept that promise for us too. Help us know that for sure and to turn that into praise for you are a great and good promise-keeping God to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.